And we are back. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Rad Toy Collector Rad Podcast. This is episode two, uh, specifically titled Bootleg and DIY Toys with Brandon Bowers from the House of Eyes. It's aptly named because we have Mr. Brandon Bowers here in the house. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that is no easy feat getting the gentleman uh, here live in the living color. So welcome, sir. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's just start right out because uh, I know we got a lot to talk about in this podcast. Uh, tell us about the different types of bootleg and DIY toys. Well, I think it started with uh, bootlegs disguised as the real thing. So you had uh, countries that were manufacturing toys for uh, European and American toy makers or toy companies um, where after hours they'd use the same molds and the same setup to make toys that they were disguising as the actual Star Wars toys or Star Trek or Ninja Turtles or He-Man or whatever. Um, I think that's where it started. Um, And then you moved into this realm of like cheap knockoffs where you had uh, toys that were given a different name that was similar to the uh, original franchise, but they were trying to evade, they were trying to uh, evade copyright lawsuits and stuff like that. And most of those were unintentionally hilarious, uh, you know, which I think, I think that's the origin of, bootleg toys branching into this sort of artistic realm was uh guys went and bought these uh these cheap knockoffs and thought that they were funny um when you're talking about these you're talking specifically about like the kind of toy that you would find in front of like fiesta yeah the kind of toy that you find uh in front of like a uh yeah fiesta mart uh you know, the, the kind that you get at, at certain flea markets and things like that, where, you know, like I have one that's, it's Darth Vader with a motorcycle, and yeah. it's, but he's not called Darth Vader. He's called like, you know, Spaceman or yeah. something like that. Oh, and it's hilarious. Negro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, I had some when I was a kid, my mom brought some from Mexico that were, uh, they were troll dolls basically. But they had just done the heads from Troll Dolls and the hair, and they were on these muscular, like, He-Man bodies and stuff. Um, and I thought they were really cool, but I think that's the origin of... You know, they did have... Uh, it was a line of toys that was called the Stone Protectors. It was an authentic troll line that they had, like, a gem in the middle of their chest, and they had, like, He-Man bodies, but they had, like, a troll head. Yeah, these might have been bootlegs of those molds. Yeah. Um... But, yeah, I don't remember if that's what they were called. But, uh, you know, it was like a pack of ten action figures. And these things always come in, like, big packs and stuff. Yeah. But but they're hilarious. And uh, and so I think that artists kind of saw those, saw the hilarity in it, and then started making their own. And you had guys that were doing kind of the third type, which is uh, modified bootlegs that are intentionally humorous. And this is where they take parts from existing action figures and they put them together in a way or paint them in a certain way that's funny, uh, a certain way that's intentionally humorous. And that's where you get guys like Suck Lord or uh, Jason Freeney, who I think is on Instagram as Gummy Fetus. Um, 
you know, those are some of the big ones. Uh, and then me, I, you know, some of the toys I make are, they're essentially modified bootlegs. Um, I have uh, my my seamen line, which is, uh, you know, because they're from the sea. They're men from the sea. The right, seamen. Right, right. Yeah, the seamen line. I'm, I'm going to say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh you, you know, this, obviously you can't see these toys because this is a podcast. But uh, if you go to the gentleman's website and if you if you do check him out, you'll see his line of toys are like uh, how how are they produced? Well, they're they're all made at my house in my right. living room, and right. I'll, I'll talk a little bit later about the construction of them and all that. But but the type of and I have different type, you know, I have some that are my own creation, but a lot of mine are modified bootlegs. They're basically uh, like this, the uh, Aquadong is the, <laughs> the first character in the, the Seamen line, which is, it's a He-Man knockoff. And so Aquadong is all these parts from He-Man toys and Ninja Turtles and Doomsday uh, from from uh, DC Comics. But I take parts from these toys and I put them together to make this one monstrous creature um uh, and sculpted other parts on spikes and skulls and stuff growing out of him, barnacles and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, and then made molds of it. And so that figure, parts of it are bootleg, but parts of it are sculpted by me. Mm-hmm. Um, some people do full boot- bootlegs and then paint, uh, give it a different paint job or whatever. Sucklord has done that a lot. Um, swap the heads out, which that's another, you know, I did a Mega Marge one, which was Marge Simpson's head on John Cena's body. Um, I did an undead Yoda where I took the applause uh, Yoda sculpt, and uh, since it was soft vinyl, I cut the face off and, and built a new face, so it was like an undead Yoda. Um, Very creepy. And, and, you know, sometimes it's just a paint job. The first bootleg that I did, um, I didn't make many of them, but... Um, but Gaith Richardson, who'd been on the podcast before, he and I were just kind of, we were entertaining the idea of making toys at our house. That was the dream ever since we were little kids, right? So uh, we decided to just do it, and we got these Stormtrooper Easter eggs and, uh, you know, kind of sealed the cracks on them and made these bootleg Stormtrooper heads um, that were great paperweights. But that's all they were. There was nothing modified to the sculpt. Um, and so I just took mine and I, I painted King Diamond from Merciful Fate's face on them. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it ended up just looking like, uh, looking like if King Diamond were fat. And so I made a bag and topper and sold them as Fat King Diamond. Uh, but, that's uh, pretty awesome. But, you know, with that, with these modified bootlegs, because they're intentionally humorous, you have parody protection the same way that Cracked Magazine or Mad Magazine or Saturday Night Live, um, Spaceballs, things like that. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic. Um, right. It, it falls under parody, and so you're, you're legally protected from lawsuits from The Simpsons or uh, Star Wars or whoever. Right. Um, and then the fourth kind, uh, my favorite kind uh, of bootleg and DIY toys are are true DIY toys. This is where an artist or an illustrator or a sculptor, whoever, um, whether their normal job is to design skateboards or, you know, snowboards or maybe illustrate comics, whatever, they sculpt their own creation 
it's not a parody character it's not a bootleg in any way but they sculpt it and they make it on a diy scale usually in a limited edition um, and it's sold as an art piece um, almost like a print and i think that that's that's the uh, final form in the evolution of bootleg toys is the, the non-bootleg, the DIY uh, homemade toy. I have a question about that. If uh, Does the method of production for the true DIY, like if, some, if somebody uh, prints out a bunch of parts on a 3D printer and assembles their toys versus like sculpts them out of clay or makes a cast and does a resin or whatever does that does one is one like more DIY than the other I would venture to say that if you well first of all the ones that are 3D printed are still cast usually they 3D print the original uh, and then you know file it down or you know smooth it down because 3D printed items are usually kind of rough um, but uh, you know they still make molds of it and make castings but I'd say that sculpting the original, um, it's more interesting instinctively to me uh, than someone who 3D prints one. Um, but I feel like uh, I feel like they both probably deserve the same amount of respect. It was brought to my attention that uh, that the guys who sculpt in 3D software, 3D uh, you know modeling programs. Uh, Often have just as much talent as the guys who are sculpting. With oh, clay sure, that's like it. That. That, 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 that kind of software is not a not easy by any definition of the word to uh, negotiate. You know, you have to, you really have to know what you're doing. Yeah, uh, it's pretty complicated yeah. stuff. Right. So, uh, so that's a good uh, introduction uh, there for uh, you know the concept. Uh, what's the DIY toy scene like in Houston? Um, in Houston, the artists are great who are making toys. Uh, I've seen some DIY toys come out of Houston that are really cool, uh, both in the bootleg realm and the, the toys where the DIY realm where it's their own creation. Um, I've seen both things come out great. Uh, however, Houston doesn't have the market for it. Um, Houston is a little behind on a lot of uh, art trends and things like that, um, music trends and stuff, behind other major cities in the U.S. And so we have this other, and that's part of it, but we have this other big uh, component, which is the vintage toy scene is huge in Houston. Yes, it is. And so I think the guys that would be, or in my opinion should be, collecting DIY toys, art toys, are they're buying mint condition GI Joes and, and things like that, uh, old Motu figures. Um, you know, they're collecting vintage toys. And I have no problem with vintage toys. Uh, you've seen our house. It, every room uh, that yeah. I make toys in yeah. is filled with toys that I did not make. It's yeah. filled with old toys from when I was a kid, yeah. new toys from uh, other, other uh, artists and things like that. Um, and then dunnies and other, you know, vinyl toys and stuff, other kinds of art toys. But uh, I love toys. I love that people collect them. Uh, Houston certainly has a vintage toy scene. We have Third Planet, which is a fantastic toy store. We have Super Happy Incredible Toys. We have a bunch. Uh, um, misfit Toys. Uh, you know, wait, there's, there's, and we, 
there, there's Eighth Dimension. There's a couple of uh, places that we're actually going to be doing uh, 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 spot footage at uh, for the purposes of the YouTube show, the uh, Rad Toy Collector Show on our YouTube channel. So make sure you check that out. Yeah, I mean, we, we have an awesome vintage toy scene. Uh, Comic Palooza is a huge event, and you have a lot of booths there that have great a great selection of vintage toys, even some really rare stuff. Uh, but I think because toy collectors are spending all their money on these vintage toys, uh, the DIY toys aren't really getting the focus they deserve yet. Uh, and the, the main toys that were, or the main stores that were selling art toys kind of either shut down or they uh, stopped selling as much. They, they moved on to selling other things because the market's not there in Houston. Right. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to be taking a break here uh, to give your ears a chance to cool off and your brains a chance to take all of that in. Uh, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. My pet monster. He's bigger than big. When he fights battles, he always wins. And he's your friend, too. He breaks his chains. Put him on you and break away, too. With my pet monster, you're busting loose. He's big. And scary. And helps people, too. And he's your friend, too. My pet monster plays all day. Tough. Awesome. Looking great. And all your friends will want him for their friend, too. My pet monster has breakaway chains from Amtoy and American Greetings Company. Okay, we are back with Brandon Bowers, the DIY toy maker at the House of Eyes. And we're going to pick up where we left off uh, before the break. Uh, specifically, uh, and that is as a reminder that uh, we're talking about uh, DIY and bootleg toys. You know, we're putting emphasis on the fact that these are two, indeed, two different genres of toy creation. Um, now, Expanding on that, how are these things made? So, um, what I consider to be the most DIY way or the most raw way, other than individually hand carving each toy, is uh, doing resin resin casting, which is something that you can do in your own living room. I do, every toy that I've made it was made in my house, um, and that's where you have an original sculpture that you're working from, be it, you know, made from pieces of old toys or be it made from clay or Sculpey or whatever you prefer, you have an original, you make a silicone rubber mold of it, and then you use polyester resin to make plastic copies of that. Um, in my mind, that's the true DIY way, um, but other artists are using other ways too. Um, some guys that have big DIY operations are doing rotocast, uh, which is where you have a sort of a rotisserie uh, casting tool um, that allows you to make hollow parts and things like that. It's Japanese sofubi toys are made that way. Basically, anything hollow is made that way. Um, and then the third way, which seems to be the most common in Houston, to my dismay, um, and I don't blame the guys for doing this, because there aren't a lot of guys making DIY toys at their homes in Houston. Um, so there's no one to, you know, in these other cities, I think kind of you had one artist doing it, they would teach another artist and they would teach an artist and so on. Right. In Houston, uh, what's happening a lot is you have 
illustrators or graphic artists who draw something and then they hire someone to make a 3D rendering of it and then they they basically uh, print a copy, sand it down and send it to China and they have a bunch of copies made and shipped back here. There is nothing wrong with doing that. Um, you should definitely still collect toys from those artists because they're still limited limited edition art toys and all that. You're still supporting DIY art. Um, that's just not the way that I prefer to do it. Um, so, um, I've noticed most of your toys are one color and most of them are solid black. Why is that? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah... Most of my toys are solid black. Uh, it looks evil as hell, uh, and I like it. Um, I've branched out a little bit, but the reason most of them originally were black and the reason I'll probably continue printing toys, or not printing, but uh, casting toys in black resin is uh, is kind of, it kind of goes back to my artistic influences in general. Um, most of the stuff I do is just illustration. You know, I illustrate things for t-shirts and posters and things like that. And, uh, most of the time I work in black and white. I do a lot of engravings on black clayboard and stuff like that. But even that boils down to my, my primary artistic influences. Um, so, you know, I started with comic books and I did like very colorful things like Sam Keith and stuff like that. But my favorite guys, my favorite illustrators, not just in comics, but they've always been guys who maybe worked in color from time to time, but when you saw most of their stuff, it looked best in black. Mm. Bernie Wrightson, probably my all-time favorite. Uh, Sawblade, which is the illustrator alias for Daniel Shaw. Um, fantastic uh, black and white illustrator. Virgil Finlay, who is doing ink illustration with technical pens, but also uh, you know knife engravings and stuff like that. Uh, all black and white and all super dramatic. Thomas Ott was telling fantastic stories with his silent comics uh, in black and white. Um, they, I think that black and white or grayscale, uh, that's what I like to look at in general. So when I started making toys, I, I wanted to make them in solid black. Now, I kind of have... Uh, I like color too, so I've branched out a little bit. Where some of my some of my sculptures and some of my toys, I'm uh, I'm airbrushing them sort of in the Sofubi Japanese style, where I'm using metallic paints and things like that. But I think for the most part, I'm gonna stick to solid black resin for the for the uh, bootlegs and for the original sculptures. Sure. And where, if somebody wanted to see what we're actually talking about here, where could they go to check out your toys? Uh, you can check out my toys on my website at, uh, at www.houseofeyes.org. Um, I'm also on Instagram uh, under the House of Eyes. And then I have... Uh, I also have a booth at the upcoming Comic Palooza, which if you've never been to Comic Palooza, it's a it's a huge event. Um, we'll be there. It's it's really good for Houston, in my opinion. Uh, you know, detractors would accuse it probably of becoming too corporate, uh, but I think that's probably the direction most comic book conventions are going, and that's that's technically. Uh, I, I, I think it's acceptable. I had a lot of fun at the last one. So. Well, yeah. Well, we're we're actually uh, 
Our, our, our show, Rad Toy Collector Show, is actually hosting a panel this year at Comic Palooza, and we're going to be uh, podcasting from there as well. Uh, and so, and, and you know, I'm I'm very much on the same page with you as far as Comic Palooza is concerned. This city doesn't have enough to do, in my opinion, and. Uh, you know, one of the big projects that Rad Toy Show is working on is creating a centralized like website that work as like a functionally as a network for like for instance you're talking about DIY most more DIY doesn't get out enough. What we're working on uh, project wise is uh, a website that is gonna be a place for people to find the fringe, you know. The yeah, things yeah. that the things the things that you you wouldn't even think to look for that are here and have a strong presence, you know. Like you say, there's big vintage toy presence here. Huge, it's, yeah. huge, huge presence. But uh, the truth is, and there's a couple of people that can back me up on this. Uh, representation is kind of like mismanaged, you know. And yeah, I think and they don't know how to find each other. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I think organization would be great at, at something. I definitely. Uh, I want to contribute to you know as much as possible. Uh, everybody I know and everybody that I've talked to subsequently in the last you know four years, you know, working on this project has felt kind of the same way. So you know that was one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show because hopefully you know uh, we can get you know I, we, I want to bring what you do out. Now that being said, being completely honest with the folks here at home. He does like to make stuff that uses like Masters of the Universe parts, and it makes me want to cry a little because <laughs> I, you know, I love vintage toys, wow. and, and it's like I gave him a couple of my beaters that I had because you know I uh, I delve in the realm of making customs, but what I do is I uh, I I do like you know, like I don't know if you remember the wizard used to do the uh, the, the the make your own action figure. Oh Wizard, yeah, the Wizard oh, I, magazine. Our Wizard magazine yeah. had it as a, uh, and and you know that that probably had. I don't even know if the guys at Wizard even have thought about this, but that probably had an impact on the future of uh, humorous bootleg toys. Not because, uh, not because that was what was going on there, but because some of them were so bad that they were funny. Well, I think the biggest influence, if. If I'm honest, uh, I think the biggest influence the the wizard, uh, you know, make your own toy uh, section had was it kind of was one of the things that got McFarlane toys off the ground, and I say yeah. that because the spe the specific purpose of that section of the magazine was I don't like the way the toy that they have for this character looks, I can make a better one. And yeah. a lot of the people that, you know, were in the comic book realm started seeing what some of the stuff these people were coming up with. Some of them were laughable, you know, but they still went in there because they were, they, they had the oh, novelty yeah. value. But then there were some that were like amazing. Oh, there were some stellar toys in there. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, they were. So that's like, that's, and I think McFarlane saw, you know, some of that. And McFarlane was. Oh, you know, yeah. He saw a niche that yeah. needed to be filled. Yeah. You know, and now, you know, now Marvel and DC license out their characters to be made by all these different yeah. manufacturers. And then, you know, a number of shows. I think you can get Firefly toys and from like, six different manufacturers yeah, or whatever. And that was not the case originally. But, no. no. Yeah. But going back to 
you you know you mentioned that you have you guys are hosting this panel at yeah. Comic Palooza, guys. That if you're listening and and you haven't been to Comic Palooza, the panels are the best part. All the workshops they have on how to build your own uh, movie props and things like that, and how to build your own droids and stuff. Those are awesome. Uh, you have panels also where you can hear uh, you can hear uh, comic book artists. Uh, argue with each other and things like that uh, that are really cool but the uh, you know when I was a kid you pretty much had to drive to Dallas to get to like a kick-ass comic book convention and that's not the and case it was anymore. quite a bit smaller than comic palooza yeah. comic palooza is really cool yeah well recently and I'm gonna say this uh, recently the city of Houston uh, lost one of their uh, convention scene heroes uh, and the former Mr. James Marshall Vaughn, who was the person that did the uh, awesome toy show and the awesome comic book show, uh, and uh, he he was a guy. It was because of his shows that like tripled my you know awareness and networking with people that are in the toy scene, you know. And yeah, the uh, small cons yeah. that happen at hotels yeah. and stuff, those are worth worth going to too. Yeah. yeah, and and that's that's one of those things that like we even talked about like um oh, some buddies of ours that are on another podcast, the uh, Scary Dad podcast, just started doing their convention uh that and we're you know, we do convention footage for them. Uh, with our with our production crew, and we've had a couple of conversations delving in. At some point, I'd really like to do, even if it's like a one-time, smallish con. I definitely want to do one, you know, just to see, you know, what what would happen, you know. If nothing else, just to say we put on a convention. I don't care. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, Jason Champion from uh, Champion Video, you know, which is a, a pretty badass Houston installation. He just did a big VHS swap meet. And uh, those kind of those small cons, I think that's that's kind of where it's yeah. at right now. For uh, as far as actually buying product and selling product, mm-hmm. I think that uh, yeah. you know, especially if you're out there making DIY toys and and uh, or even bootleg toys, um, get out there and go to events that are uh, you know mid-sized events. Talk to anyone who's setting yeah. up an event, even if it has nothing to do with DIY toys. Yeah. Most of the stuff I've sold has been usually at like festivals for bands and stuff that have nothing to do with toys or even artwork in general. So, no, definitely, uh, I'm a hundred percent behind uh, the Houston scene, you know, and uh, expanding on that and getting it out there and making sure that people know where to go when they're looking for their fix. You know, if it's plastic, if it's comics, if it's you know, uh, if Whatever it may be, whatever you like to collect, that we wanna we wanna be there when you find it and experience that with you. So, that being said, we're gonna say goodbye to Mr. Brandon Bowers. Yeah, adios. Oh, pleasure as always, sir. Thank you very much for tuning in with us. We'll see you next time, folks. <laughs>